Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. This is a challenging time, probably the most challenging in 30 years. Coming out of the financial crisis, 600 billion in ETF assets. They're starting to understand that there's more opportunity outside of those major market indexes. Tom, how was the long holiday weekend? Were you able to relax a little bit? It was great, Nate. Thanks. Hope hope you had a great Thanksgiving too. And uh, I'm just trying to work off a few pounds. I, I ate way too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's always my uh, my favorite holiday. I drink. It's like forced relaxation for me, right? You have good food, football, family, and friends. I think for me, it's good just to uh, shut down a little bit. But glad to hear you had a uh, a nice holiday. Um, okay. You too. Okay, so as soon as you're done recording here, as I understand it, you're running straight over to Moderate uh, Moderate Vetify's Alternative Symposium, uh, where you'll obviously be covering the areas I mentioned at the top, right? So broad commodities, uh, gold, managed futures, real estate, crypto, uh, private equity, pretty much everything outside of more straightforward equity and fixed income exposure. And so we, we thought this would be a good topic for us to cover this week. And I, I guess before we get into our conversation, this symposium will be over by the time most people listen to this, but a replay will be available online. And so do you want to just give us a, a, a quick preview here? Like, why are you focusing on alts now? And what are you hoping advisors will get out of this? Well, Nate, you did a great job in the intro kind of talking about what's happened in the last couple of years uh, in equity markets and fixed income markets. It's been tough for investors. It's been tough for advisors. Uh, you know, having a couple of years where you're having negative returns in the bond market, that, that just hasn't happened in almost four decades. We've also seen a lot of people moving away from the traditional 60-40, as you pointed out. A lot of people have raised cash. Uh, you look at areas like J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Morgan Stanley, they've disclosed recently that they have 25 to 30 percent cash for their managed clients. Um, that money eventually has to go somewhere. And more and more investors are looking for non-correlated assets to kind of smooth out those bumps. Advisors, as, as you know, we're surveying them all the time. Six months ago, their biggest fear was inflation. Today, their biggest fear is market volatility, valuations, that type of thing. So we thought it was a great time at the end of the year where advisors are thinking about 2024 allocation, sitting down with clients, setting goals what's most important. And uh, we're seeing more and more interest in alternative strategies. You also mentioned alternative income, kind of those covered call strategies. It seems like every issuer out there now is putting up some of these covered call strategies for alternative income for all the right reasons, because if rates are lower a year from now, it's nice to be able to have a steady stream of income that's outside of something that's controlled by the Fed, right? Okay, so no, I think that's a that's a great preview. But let, let me ask you this, because as I thought about our conversation today, I, I thought a good way to maybe set this up would, would be like this. So bear with me. Um, you and I know that a popular refrain over the past decade plus is how ETFs have democratized access to institutional caliber strategies, right? I, I know I've said that numerous times on this podcast. I'm assuming you've said that plenty of times in a, a variety of settings. And so the question I have is, is this actually a good thing, 
because you and I also know a diversified stock and bond portfolio is difficult to beat over the long run. And in general, I would say many of the alternative ETFs that have come to market have had a pretty tough go of it. And, and, and look, I, I know the market environment has been challenging for a lot of these strategies, right? It's been large cap U.S. stocks and not much else for a, a, a long period of time. But, but again, going back to my example at the top, you take an ETF like DBMF, the uh, Managed Futures ETF, or PDBC, which is the Invesco Commodity Strategy ETF. I, I was looking this morning. Those things are trailing the S&P 500 by around 25 points this year, 25 points. And I know they outperformed last year, but I just wonder if some investors piled into these with, with all of the headlines around the death of the 60-40 portfolio, and they've now been burned. And so, again, Tom, just to get us into the conversation here, um, is this democratization of non-traditional assets and strategies really a good thing for investors? Well, you're sounding like Jack Bogle a little bit here, Nate. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, are, they, are these tools too sharp? Is somebody going to cut themselves? I mean, look, if we set the stage and look at the traditional 60-40, we know that it works over time. But if you stick with it and you've got the discipline to stick with it, and if you're an, if you're an investor and you're trying to grow your portfolio over time, yeah, even going through the last couple of years, it, it works in the long run. So that's one investor who maybe doesn't have a lot of time or knowledge, but knows that if you just stick with that strategy, that's great. Then you go on to the other side where, look, there are non-correlated opportunities that have their own trends. We know from surveying advisors, almost two-thirds of advisors have some type of tactical strategy that they implement for their clients. And we know most advisors did something to move away from the 60-40 over the last couple of years. And maybe if it was just putting some on the sidelines in cash, they did well for their clients. But at the same time, if there are other areas that maybe were showing current uptrends, if you're just using like a 200-day average, you had an opportunity to maybe catch some of these uptrends where traditional areas of investing were in downtrends. And if you stuck to that trend line or the 200-day average, yeah, you would have got a piece of that upside last year. And if you were selling when you went below the 200-day average, you would have sold a DBMF or a PDBC uh, for, the, for those right reasons as well. So it all comes down to these tools that are fantastic and they continue to grow with, with choice. But how do you use them and not shoot yourself in the foot? It, discipline's important. And if you have a strategy where you've got a tactical strategy and you've stuck to that over time, not just using them, but how much you allocate is also key and critical. So I, I'm with you and I believe 100%, but I think we talk about that as advisors all the time. You, you can't just look at these shiny objects because usually the shiniest objects are the ones that already had their up move, right? Hey, I've been called um, way worse things than Jack Bogle, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, look, I, I thought that's well said. Maybe I'm in a skeptical uh, mood today. I just wonder, I, I'd love to see the performance of advisors who are um, dabbling in alt ETFs and whether or not it, it is additive to a portfolio, whatever they're doing, if they're being tactical w with it uh, or otherwise over the long term. I, I guess I'm just skeptical. But I think what you said makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think 
number one, it all comes down to understanding these strategies, right? Do you know how these are going to react in different market environments? Do you understand the potential uh, return drivers? And probably the bigger piece, the more important piece, um, is that investor behavior piece. Because even if an investor understands, uh, let's say, a managed future strategy, and again, this isn't to pick on a managed future strategy. It's just front of mind for me because it had such a big year last year. But um, you know, the question is, can an investor stick with that? And uh, again, DBMF is trailing the S&P 500 by 25% plus this year. So can investors stomach that difference? And to me, the answer to that should really dictate whether uh, an investor or advisor should be using the, these types of alternative ETFs. If you can take a longer term approach and you can understand the potential diversification benefits of, of say, a managed future strategy, then great. I, I, I think that can serve a portfolio well and maybe even extremely well moving forward. But you have to be able to stick with it. And my experience is just that a lot of people uh, can't. And, and then I think going back to, to my first point, um, and I, I just don't want to understate this fact, some of these products are very complex. And I know like you, I always emphasize the golden investment rule, which is that if you don't understand an investment, you shouldn't invest in it. And so yeah. I, I guess my, my high level take time is I absolutely, and, and you know this, I think everybody who listens to this podcast knows this, I absolutely love the innovation in the ETF space. I do like how um, we have democratized access to institutional caliber strategies and really expanded the, the toolkit for investors. But it does come down to understanding, you know, the, the, the tools in that toolkit, how they work. And then that behavior component is so critical. And, and I think in all fairness, look, if you look back two years from now, uh, uh, two years ago, uh, DBMF is down 2% from two years ago. So, so it was flat. Uh, the ag's down almost 17%. Uh, small caps are down 20%. Yeah, the S&P's up 13% last two years. But we also know why the S&P's up. And are, are that many people actually fully invested in the S&P and not in other areas of the broad market? So um, putting it in perspective is important. Diversifying is important. But you said it the right way, Nate. You got to look under the hood. You have to know what you're investing in. And managed futures can work really, really well. I mean, I know the folks and Andrew Beer at, uh, at DBMF, and they they're smart. I mean, they're going to be able to take advantage of when rates change and they start going down. They're they're really good at currencies, but you know, it was it was a tough year for them, admittedly. Yeah, and and to be clear again, I was a hundred percent cherry picking the data on DBMF just because I'm I'm trying to make a point here. And I agree with you. I mean, you look at the team over there, Andrew Bear. he's probably forgotten more about investing than, than I know. Uh, you're talking about some very smart individuals. It, it gets back to, I don't want to belabor the point. You just have to understand how these strategies work and how they might respond in different market environments. And, and then again, you have to be able to stick with them. If you're going to make an allocation here, um, you, you have to let them you know, do what they're, they're going to do over a longer period of time. You can't look at my cherry pick data and, and draw some you know sweeping con conclusion on managed futures. Um, okay, we are a bit limited on time this week, and I want to make sure we touch on um, gold and crypto, and, and so let's do that now. And I would say with gold, Tom, obviously that's a much simpler alternative uh, asset that, that I think more investors can get their uh, head around. And physical gold ETFs have been popular, right? We know that because there's over $100 billion 
in, in these products. I, I'm just curious, how do you view gold? Because it does tend to be highly polarizing in that it doesn't produce dividends or income. Someone just has to buy it at a higher price. But it's also been around for whatever, 5,000 years. Are, are you a fan of gold in a portfolio? Well, the story for gold is strong and a little inside baseball for some of the commodity uh, experts that we're going to have on today. uh, They really gave some good insight. First of all, a lot of people got gold wrong last year because they were looking for the China rebound that never happened. And that was a big part of it. In addition, there were a lot of people selling gold, retail investors, advisors that had gold. However, there were some big buyers. Nate, central banks were piling into gold last year when uh, retail investors were selling. Now, looking forward, as we look to 24, the central bank buying is not slowing down. It will continue to pick up as people are looking to hedge against the U.S. dollar. That's one thing that's important. A lot of people feel it may be the year for China. And if we start to see that pick up, that's good from a supply and demand standpoint. And retail gold, especially in emerging markets, as we go into the holiday season, is also really key. So if some of those things come to the forefront, we could see a nice pickup in in gold for sure, uh, especially if the dollar weakens. So a lot of these experts are pinning their hopes that something like that might happen. But back to trends, you know, keep an eye on the trends. And uh, it's it's another choice. But I think the days of just putting 3% of your portfolio in gold and thinking that's going to save your portfolio isn't going to move the needle. Most people are doing tactical bets in that area. And then hence your, your story about crypto and, and why people are looking at the modern day gold in the form of crypto. And especially with us maybe just weeks away of getting approval for spot Bitcoin, that could really push things further. Yeah, before we get to um, crypto, here's what I'll say about gold. And in full disclosure, uh, definitely not investment advice. As I always say to listeners, do your own homework. But we we do own gold in our uh, portfolios. I personally like the diversification benefits. I, I always say gold marches to the beat of its own drummer. And once again, I'm, I'm cherry picking some data here. But if you go back to the beginning of last year, uh, before the Fed started hiking rates, Gold is up 9%, while the S&P 500 is down 2%. And so I I do think that's a pretty good example of how gold can operate. But again, from our standpoint, we have to be able to explain to clients why we own gold. We have to explain, look, this is something that that doesn't produce dividends or or income. Uh, Price has to go up. uh, And they have to understand gold isn't going to perform like the S&P 500. But if, if we look historically... Because it, it tends to be uncorrelated, it can offer some some benefits as part of a globally diversified portfolio. Just high level, that's how I view gold. But yeah, and that's and that's completely responsible, Nate. I mean, look for your clients. I think sitting down and explaining that to them, and it's done what it's supposed to do. Um, and in the last couple of years, when equities and fixed income were challenged, it hung in, it hung in there pretty well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I think part of it, and this gets into the discussion around spot Bitcoin ETFs or crypto. I think a lot of that, when you get into alternative assets, it comes down to position sizing uh, in that you don't want to load up the truck here, right? You, you have to have enough that you can move the needle, but not so much that it's going to 
uh, it, you know, or it could really destroy your portfolio if things go sideways. And then I think discipline rebalancing is absolutely critical, especially in higher vol strategies. And so let, let's talk a little bit about what you call, you know, modern day gold or digital gold in, in Bitcoin. And we can fold in other cryptos as well. But I mean, as I'm looking at your agenda here, Tom, for the alternative symposium, I see an investing in cryptocurrency strategy session with uh, Dave Lavelle over at Grayscale, Matt Hogan at Bitwise. I see another session on uh, does the future belong to crypto? It looks like uh, Simeon Hyman over at ProShares and, and someone from Galaxy. Um, I guess same question here with gold. I mean, are you a fan of allocating to crypto as part of a diversified portfolio? Is this still too early? Where, where's your head at? And we can stick to just Bitcoin if you want for simplicity. Right. So um, personally, don't follow me. You know, I, I, I felt like I got in early. I just diversified some money, put it over uh, into Coinbase, really enjoyed watching it go up. And then I watch it go down all the way to the bottom. And now it's come back a little bit. So once in a while, I look on my app on my phone, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not banking on that. But what we really need to talk about are individual investors and advisors and how comfortable, comfortable they feel investing in, in cryptocurrency. We do that annual survey with Bitwise, and we're about to do the fifth annual survey uh, just in a couple of weeks. But last year, only 29% of advisors felt that they could comfortably provide an allocation for clients, meaning that they didn't have either the tools or the platform that they could invest in cryptocurrency for their clients. Most feel that if we do get approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF in a variety of, of different issuers, that now more and more advisors are going to allocate for their clients and they're going to feel comfortable doing so. And boy, the, this rebound that we've seen in, uh, in in cryptocurrency as well has also helped fuel some interest as we're going into the new year. Yeah, I think I'll be a little bit of a broken record here. And I actually said this on a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, another podcast yesterday. But if you go back to when Bitcoin first debuted, which was, uh, what, 2009, if you had owned a small allocation, that would have offered some meaningful diversification benefits to a portfolio. Again, assuming you did two things. Number one, you sized your position accordingly. You didn't overdo it. And two, you rebalanced in a very disciplined manner, right? If, if you did those two things, Bitcoin was additive. Now, I think we also have to be fair and say uh, 14 years or, or whatever we're at, that's a pretty small sample size. And so, you know, I don't know that we can draw broad conclusions moving forward about um, whether Bitcoin will be additive to a portfolio. But, you know, I, I think for the right investor, um, if you think about Bitcoin as digital gold or, or modern in gold, it, it can make sense, but definitely not for everyone. And I'm going to be fascinated, Tom, when a spot Bitcoin ETF does finally roll out just to see what, like, I, we know there's going to be demand there and there's going to be adoption. I'm fascinated to see the types of advisors um, adding it to a portfolio? You know, is it going to be people operating on a more tactical level? Is it going to be, you know, long-term buy and hold investors that that put it, I don't know, 5% allocation to a spot Bitcoin ETF in a portfolio as opposed to, say, owning physical gold? Just how how the spot Bitcoin ETF is used by advisors is going to be fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and they, I think you're hitting on the important thing of 
Alternatives, they, they tend to be non-correlated and you can smooth out portfolios by having them. And also how you use them is kind of key and critical. Don't get caught up in the emotions. If you're going to allocate for the long term, stick to that allocation. Don't all of a sudden throw a lot more in after it's already had its move. Buy on dips or use long-term trend lines. I mean, I, I'm just a big proponent. When I started ETF Trends in 2005, it was all about putting a 200-day average on every ETF I could see and identifying what's coming off the bottom, what's going below its trend line, where the momentum is. And today, with all the different choices, there's a lot to choose from, but you have to have that discipline and stick to it. Yeah, and that is what is beneficial about uh, trend following is I think it forces that discipline, assuming you f you actually follow the uh, trends. And you know, if you look historically, trends are not going to work on every single asset class, um, but many of them, especially asset classes that are much more high vol, like say Bitcoin or gold, I think it can work very effectively. But um, Tom, great chat as always. Best of luck with the uh, symposium today. I know you're you're running over there now. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much, Nate, and enjoy the holidays. That was Tom Lydon, Vice Chairman of Vetify.